Hi, I'm Rich Blooney, and you're listening to Healthcare Pulse. Think about this question for a moment. What was your first leadership role? Chances are you got that role because the person who had it before you resigned, or there was some other unexpected circumstance, and you were good at the job you did. But did that mean you were prepared to lead? Some people are born for leadership, but most of us will have to work hard to produce great results while encouraging our team's individual growth and engagement. Today, when results are crucial, and certainly competition is intense, exceptional leaders must provide a work environment that allows their teams to grow their skills, own their outcomes, and attract other high performers. To be a true leader, you must set up others for success. On today's show, we'll discuss how organizations can create the setting that fosters exemplary leadership and results. Speaking of exemplary, my guest today is Mark Noon, a Studer Group speaker and leadership coach who specializes in employee engagement and teamwork. A retired major in the U.S. Air Force, Mark's background in military and civilian leadership provides him with a unique perspective on how to bring out the leader in ourselves and those around us. In his new book, Set Up, Timeless Leadership Skills for Your Success, Mark expertly teaches the value of connection, driving results by teaching leaders to cultivate value in the people they manage. Welcome, Mark. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Hey, good. Thanks so much, Rich. Great to be here. Absolutely. You know, I never realized you were a major in the Air Force. So now every time I see you, I'm going to be like, Ground control to major, Mark. I mean, I'm just going to have to do that now. <laughs> well, I would expect the salute as well, so you can handle that, right? <laughs> or that, or that, absolutely. <laughs> so, Mark, normally um, when we have guests on this fun podcast, we have a little get-to-know-you question. So sure. your get-to-know-you question I've decided on is this. So if you could speak any other language or languages other than the ones you speak right now, what would you choose and why? You know, that that's a fun question. I was just in Canada this last week. I was in Ottawa at a hospital that is a actually a French speaking hospital. Um, so that, so Ottawa, Ontario is, is English basically, but this hospital is French and I really loved listening to them talk. I didn't understand a thing they said, but I just kind of like that the way they, they say things in French, but really overall for me, it would be Spanish. And I think because I've traveled to, to Spanish-speaking countries. It's a little bit easier language to learn, and it's obviously very universal when it comes to uh, North America, Central America, and South America is uh, primarily the, the second language behind English. So Spanish would be it. Well, muchas gracias, señor Mark. <laughs> De nada. You kind of threw, kind of threw me for a loop because you're like, they were all speaking French, and I really loved French, but I'd like to speak Spanish. <laughs> right? So that was awesome. Well, well, French just sounds really cool the way they say it. You know, it's just the way they, they, do, they do it. Spanish isn't that, uh, you know, intense as French is. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, they're amazing languages both. So, yeah. Mark, first of all, I'm, I'm excited for you to be here, and I just, you know, want to thank you for your service to our country. It's it's an amazing thing. And um, we're very grateful um, for people like you who've, who've done what you've done. So first and foremost, thank you for that. Um, what, what, par- what parallels do you see between leadership styles in the military and civilian teams? And, and, if, and if you see those differences, um, on top of that, what can civilians apply from the military world to kind of help drive and improve performance? Yeah, some great questions. Um, first of all, it was a privilege to serve for 20 years. It truly was. And, um, you know, when I speak to audiences and they know I have a military background, usually that's done in the introduction, I always bring that, uh, that parallel. So that's a great question in, in this way. Um, people are people. 
I, I, there's not a difference between the people in the military and the people outside the military. We train differently. We learn to do things differently, but that's the differences that there are. People themselves are the same. They still have the same needs, the same wants. They still want to be motivated the same way, whether they're a military member or a civilian member. They still want to, to be valued. They still want to feel as though they're important. They want to be engaged in their job. So from that perspective, they are absolutely the same. Again, I, I said I was in Canada this last week. I had opportunity with several military um, members from Canada that were at the, the hospital attending as well. And I said this exact same thing to them. I don't care if you're a Canadian military, uh, United States military, or civilian in either place. People are people. They're looking for the same thing from leaders. They're looking for that person who cares about them, no matter what the situation and that's a, that, that's an interesting answer. I, I love what you're saying. Just you know, people are people. It doesn't matter if if you know you're in the in the armed forces, if you're in healthcare, or for that matter. One of the cool things about your book is it applies not only in healthcare but anywhere where there's a need for leadership. You know, training, leadership, growth, et cetera. And that's that's one of the cool things I liked about your book. So since you've had this really cool view of the military, civilian, healthcare, non healthcare, et cetera. Um, I always like to start with this, you know, it's always good to know what not to do. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to go like train a lion, you know, the first thing I'd want to know is like, here's what you don't do when you go in the lion's right, cage. Right. So what do you, what do you, what do you see as the most common mistake that organizations make when they're either promoting staff or identifying new leadership opportunities for, for the folks that are moving up? Yeah, another great question. And I saw this in the military a lot. I see it in civilian world uh, even more so. Um, just to start out with my military background, when when somebody gets promoted in the military, it's because they've checked certain boxes and they've taken certain tests. And, and this says you're qualified to get promoted. And there's some merit to that, I think, but it doesn't necessarily qualify somebody to be a leader. Even when I became a, a leader in that world, I, I transferred from being in the enlisted ranks to being an officer. Um, basically my, my ability to become an officer was I, I finished my bachelor's degree and I, I sent some letters somewhere and they said, yeah, I think you'd be a good officer. And then all of a sudden I become a leader. Is that really the preparation that I needed? I think what happens in our jobs in healthcare, especially is we, we take the person who either has been in the department the longest or does a really good job. And we say, Hey, how would you like to be the leader? And then they say, yes. And we say, here you go. And then we, we put all this responsibility on them. We put all of this, um, these goals and, and all of these people. Now they have to supervise and we give them no training to make that happen. So we just promote yeah. them and say, you're good at your job. You must be a good leader. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think about, you know, a lot of us now, the majority of obviously the people that listen to Healthcare Pulse are going to be in healthcare. And as we said in the intro, I think a lot of us, myself included, got their first leadership job because, you know, somebody moved out or they were good. Like you said, they were good at their job. So let me ask you kind of a trick question, if you will, because there's a lot of us that are like that, self-included, and I think you as well. A, do you think it's still possible for that person to become a good leader? And I know the answer to that, but I'm just going to ask you. And then B what are the three things they should focus on uh, or have or in their training should be focused upon for them to advance? So in other words, a person that's a frontline nurse, frontline lab tech, frontline respiratory therapist, who's great at their job, now has an opportunity to be a supervisor, manager, director. Um, a, do you believe that even in that situation, that there's a way for them to get that kind of on the job training? And, and then B, what would you put as the top three things 
that should be focused on for them to kind of get to where they need to go. Yeah. You know, I think the, the, the number one thing is yes, anybody could, can succeed in that setting. So even though you get that opportunity and you get all this thrown upon you, can you succeed? Certainly. I always tell people, number one is you have to take care of yourself. And even in the book, I talk about getting direction for yourself. And I, I even tell people they need to be a little bit selfish in the beginning. And, you know, we hear all kinds of things about being a servant leader and, and being a selfless leader. And certainly we want people to be that way. But initially, I tell people, be selfish, take care of yourself, get the knowledge you need, at least get yourself a page ahead of your team, a chapter ahead of your team, whatever in the book you're reading together, so that you can at least lead. You know, the other thing is um, communication. We, we, we communicate so much in all areas. It's how well we communicate, how effectively. So I would say one of the, the number one of those three things would be, how do people like to be communicated with? Do they appreciate email versus texting? Do they appreciate a phone call versus um, a face-to-face conversation? So knowing that and sometimes knowing the different generations and how they like to communicate is important. And then making sure we communicate to every level that we can and not just assume that people are going to hear things or know things just because they're part of the team or they were at a meeting that you were at, so they must have heard the same information. Or we we give information to half our team and then that team communicates it to the other half, so we assume that they got the information as well. I think the number one thing is communicate effectively to everyone face-to-face, in person, on phone, whatever way, as much as possible. Number two is, is how are people motivated? How do we motivate people? Not just our high performers, our, our middle solid performers, and then even some of our low performers. How do we get them motivated? Um, knowing the differences, again, I, I talk about this a lot in, in the book and, and when I teach places, is everybody's motivated differently. And I don't mean that if you have 50 people that work in your department, there's 50 different ways to motivate people. That's not what I'm saying. But similar to personalities, there's there's always four quadrants on every personality test. I think there's, there's multiple different ways people are motivated. If, if you're motivated by say, a, a bonus and uh, an incentive, then that's a, that's a way people operate uh, within business is to, to have an incentive in front of them, kind of that, that uh, stick in, or that carrot on the end of the stick that they get to follow. But other people are motivated by maybe getting a day off, time off, or, or more time with their family or more flexible schedules, different things like that. Now, again, that's not always going to be possible in our normal healthcare environment or other environments that we're in. But what is it that we can do to motivate people? I had a good friend in the military, her and I used to have this conversation. I was motivated by recognition. That's, you know, if somebody recognized me for doing a good job, that was my motivation. For her, it was a day off. So if she could, if somebody said, you can have a day off and somebody said to me, you know, you can have recognition, we would both work as hard as we could toward those things. So that's an important element. So number one is communication. Number two is motivation. The third one is delegation. And this is where we really struggle in healthcare, especially in healthcare, because we're such nurturing, caring type of people. I mean, that's the environment we create for our patients. So we, we do that with our, our employees. We want to nurture them. We want to care for them. And that's fine and dandy, except when it comes to delegating, we don't want to delegate too much because we say, oh, they've got so much going on. I don't want to burden them. I don't want to work them too hard. So I'll do all these things. And the next thing you know, as a leader, we're working 14, 16 hours a day, when in reality, we should be if we're going to work that many hours, it better be because we're investing in people and not 
doing all these other things that people need to be a part of. So, and you, and you, and you've said before a cool quote, um, leaders who don't delegate are hoarders. Yes. And everybody laughs when I say that. And then they kind of look around the room and they go, yeah, we kind of are. <laughs> and you know, it's kind of funny. It, it is. And, and I always pick on the nurses because, and you're a nurse, you know, this because nurses are absolutely the epitome of, of caring, nurturing people. And, you know, so here's Rich. He's a really good nurse. And we make him the nurse manager. And so now he starts to do the nurse manager things, but he's watching his nurses and he knows how hard they work. And they've, they've got five or six patients and the inpatient they're taken care of. So he says to himself, well, I don't want to burden my nurses with this because they got all this stuff going on. So you end up doing all this extra work, plus the work you have to do as a nurse manager. And you're overwhelmed and you're burnt out. And you think, why did I take this job? This is a struggle. On the other side of, of delegation is the opportunity for people to get better at what they do, especially your high performers. I go to a high performer and I say, hey, I've got three things I need to delegate out. Which one do you want? And they say, I'll take this one because that interests me. And, and high performers will always do more work because they're interested in something, not because we're dumping on them, we're giving them opportunity. When we delegate that, it gives them responsibility and authority to do something. Then we're preparing them, setting up them for a leadership role at some point. Well, absolutely. Cause it's like building a muscle. I mean, you, you know, I always think about, you know, especially in my own kind of life, you know, when I was unprepared for leadership, it was kind of like a muscle that I've never used before. You know, it's like you never do any bicep curls. And then all of a sudden someone hands you a 40 pound dumbbell and says, here, curl this 15 times. It's kind of hard to do. And I think to your point, there needs to be a developmental phase. There needs to be a time. And I know like you're a runner, you know, so that's like taking someone who's never run and say, okay, go run seven miles right now. It would be horrifying. So they need to take that kind of walk around the block and, and then kind of build up. So I love that, that you make that point. And the other thing a lot of our audience might be thinking of is like when you were talking about reward and recognition, I always think back to a book and it's unrelated to leadership. It's more about relationships, but as you've said, and I've said, leadership is about relationships. You know, that book when they talk about love languages, you know, like, you know, maybe my, like you were saying, your, your work professional love language was recognition. Like in relationships, it could be acts of service or affection or, you know, gifts or, you know, whatever. So I think, I think a lot of times us leaders, especially emerging leaders, it's really great to learn people's quote love languages. And I think that's a phenomenal takeaway for, for our audience, because I think that's something that a lot of us struggle with because we kind of do a, uh, you know, cookie cutter approach to how we're going to reward and rec recognize everybody. So I love that. And, and so mm -hmm. one of the things that I know you like talking about, and if you could do this in just a couple of minutes, but I know it's hard to, but you know, a lot of times people get stuck in that rut, you know, and let's call it a cultural rut where, um, you know, when you know you need to make a change, uh, maybe to make a more positive environment or more productive environment, a healthier environment, where should a leader start first? And, and then how, how do you do that? What helps build that setting? Yeah, when I, when I get an audience together and we talk about that culture, that setting, um, here's what we do is I always have them envision what does the perfect culture look like? And usually they'll throw out adjectives like communication and, you know, delegation and all these things that we know are the right thing. And then I say, no, I'm not looking for adjectives. I'm looking for what does it feel like? I even use an example about one time when I, I, I had a, uh, an upgrade on a, on a car rental to a, to a Jaguar. And this was like unexpected. And it didn't cost me anything else, but it was that upgrade. And all of a sudden, I, I'm going to get a Jaguar and I feel different about this. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to drive a Jaguar. And then I get in the car and I feel different when I'm in it. And that's what I, I equate. And I go through a lot more detail than that, which we don't have time for today. 
But I say, that's what it feels like when you go into an, a culture that, that you really want to be a part of. You look at the world around you even differently. You look at the people around you uh, um, as, as different types of team players and, and you feel different about it. But it's also about how you, how you create that. And there's ways to create the right culture. So first of all, it's what does that look like? And describe the feeling, describe what you see happening, not just adjectives, but actual actions. The next part of that is, again, going back to your team and saying, what do they value? If, if it's um, time off, then okay, if everybody in your team values time off, then the culture becomes a, a, an opportunity to, to create that. So if, if Rich is going to get time off, then he's going to do these certain things to get some time off and everybody else is going to kind of fill in his role while he has that time off. And then next week, I want time off. So I'm going to, you know, Rich and, and Lindy are going to fill in those, those slots. And that becomes a cultural thing. And then understanding that a culture is not an event. I ask this question a lot. You know, do you have a culture of service in your in your hospital? Or do you have a culture of recognition in your hospital, your organization? Everybody says, oh, yeah, we do. I said, what's your culture of recognition? Well, we have a quarterly award for the best employee or a monthly award. Or we have a yearly volunteer recognition. And I said, that's not a culture. That's an event. I love that. I love that. And when I think about, you know, I always, you know, coordinator, uh, you know, mix the concept of leadership and relationships. That's like saying, a healthy marriage, what's a healthy marriage? And someone says, we had a wedding, right? <laughs> you know, it's like the, the dress and the, and the catered meal and the party and the honeymoon, that's an event, but that doesn't make a healthy marriage or a healthy relationship. Right. So I, I, I that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal advice. I love that. It is. And so then I start taking, talking about, okay, let's say we have a volunteer recognition thing once a year. Okay. Are you recognizing your volunteers that are at the, you know, the front desk at your hospital, those folks that are retired maybe, and that's where they spend their time. Are you recognizing them every week? week by going by and spending some time with them. And then a culture of that values what other people value. Again, a lot of times, and you'll find this with, with millennials, especially millennials value a very flexible work schedule. So again, I know we have 12 hour shifts in the hospital and people have to be there at certain times, but are we flexible with some of the other areas that we're allowed to be? That creates a culture, a setting, if you will, for people to be successful. The setting is, I've even heard it said like this, the environment is perfect for the results you've gotten. In other words, your culture is perfect. If you look at your results, your culture is absolutely perfect. Because if you're at 50%, your culture re represents that. If you want 100%, you got to change your culture. Mark, that's that's such great information. Uh, you know, thank you so much, uh, certainly for for answering all our fun questions, but making yourself available. I really appreciate it. My privilege to be here. Thank you so much. So I want to again thank Mark Noon, Major Mark Noon, uh, for his, uh, not only for his service to our country, but um, for his uh, amazing words of wisdom. If you guys are readers, Set Up Timeless Leadership Skills for Your Success is a great book to read, an easy book to read. Um, you'll get a lot out of it. He's a wonderful guy. And, and by the way, um, if you are interested in seeing Mark speak, which you should be because he's awesome at it, um, we're both actually going to be at our Las Vegas conference. For those of you um, who are interested in that, it's our Studer Group's Evidence-Based Leadership Conference. It's October 16th and 17th in Las Vegas. You will learn a lot. So what happens in Las Vegas will not hopefully stay in Las Vegas. If you'd like to join us or learn more about that agenda, please visit www.studerconferences.com for more information. You've been listening to Healthcare Pulse, hosted by Rich Blooney, produced and edited by Lindy Sykes. 
Our very special thanks to our very special guest, Mark Noon, and all of our colleagues and collaborators at Studegroup and Huron. You can find more about our podcast and other episodes on Stitcher, iTunes, and studergroup.com. Thank you so much for being here. Stay inspired.